What you believe about God dictates how you will think. Our philosophies dictate how our culture behaves. Politics is simply the enforcement of cultural norms. The truth claims about God, philosophy, culture, and policies will affect what we value. When these things are in alignment, revival is possible. Well, hello there, and welcome to Further Every Day, the podcast where we explore current events through the lens of the Christian worldview. Uh, I'm Jonathan Fiala, your host, and to my left, I got Miss Nikki this morning, sitting in the chair of theology. How are you? I am good. How are you this morning? Doing well. Glad to have you there. Dealing I'm with glad why, to be here. Absolutely. Dealing with why we believe what we believe. To her left, I got Mr. Charlie. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing fine. Glad to have you there. Sitting in the chair of philosophy, dealing with the rigor that the Christian must bring to the faith. And to his left, we got Mr. Steve. How are you, sir? Man, I'm doing good today, John Arthur. And dude, I love that church. Oh, got, thank man. you. Thank I you. Thank love you. love that church. This too can be yours at the... Uh, Amazon merch store, okay? It is uh, next day shipping, apparently, or at least two day. So, and actually, it uh, got me a press pass at the NRA convention that we went to the yesterday. And you look none the worse the wear for experience. <laughs> I'm I'm just fine, man. Yeah. I had no problems. <laughs> that was fun. And moving over to his left of the chair of politics, we got Daniel. Yes, sir. Good How morning. are you, Danny boy? You know, doing well. Doing well. Can't complain. Dealing with the political nature of our belief. And yours truly, sitting in the chair of economics once again. My favorite chair. It's been a little while, but uh, this will be a fun topic today. So let's get into it. We're dealing with the seven deadly sins of gun control, or rather, seven common arguments and the problems with those arguments. The first thing that we always have to establish is there is a problem. When you look at tragedies like Uvalde, like Aurora, like Columbine, uh, Take your pick. No one wants to see dead children. No one wants to see gun violence. And Mr. Steve and I were at the NRA convention, and we went and talked to a lot of people. And that, that everyone is interested in finding a solution. The question is one of methods, like we talked about with Miss Melinda out there. Right. It's an issue of methods. Do we take people's freedoms, and does that work? Or do we allow people their freedom and punish evil appropriately? I think that's the, the greatest distillation, but not to get ahead of ourselves here. Uh, let's go through some of the stats and some of the different arguments as we travel along today. First off, argument number one. Maybe you've heard this one. If it just saves one life, why wouldn't we do that? So maybe there's some some immediate things that come to your mind. But first off, the weakest argument that conservatives go to is, but I didn't do anything wrong. I'm going to say that's the weakest argument, but it's wholly true, and it is enough to stop it, right? Even if all of your other arguments are accurate, that one alone should stop the fight. I didn't do anything. Why are you stripping me of my rights? Chair of Theology, do you have a right to self-defense? We've talked about this in a podcast before. Uh, you do, and you can find that in Exodus 22.2, where it talks about if a man breaks into a person's house in the middle of the night, and the owner of that house strikes that person and kills him, he is not guilty of murder. And that's because he has the right to defend his home, his property, and his family. Very good. So from a philosophical standpoint, I just want to go to the chair of philosophy. The first blush, and we're going to get into some of the stats and the, the real issues with if it just saves one life. But before we do, from a philosophical perspective, does this create a falsifiable premise? If it just saves one life, it's worth it. It certainly does because you, <clears throat> what you're doing is if you... <clears throat> If you think about taking a flashlight or a light, shining it down, and you constrict that more and more, you, you just center on one little spot. You don't take the whole picture to in its totality. And you have to be very careful about doing that. That can lead to a lot of... Um, Undesired can, consequences. It, it, yeah, and that's a really good way to word that. It, it certainly can, and that is not what you want. So 
you've got to make sure that you look at the totality of the argument, not just one little thing. Absolutely. And moving over to the chair of culture, if it just saves one life is a, I'm, I'm, it's an emotional plea, right? It's something that you, you're not really making a, a, a case based on data and statistics or logic, but more out of, with Uvalde, man, that's hard to hear. It's hard to see, it's hard to hear. And we're gonna talk about the Sutherland Spring shooting today. We're gonna talk about a lot of different shootings. It's hard to hear that innocents have died, but there's a problem with an emotional argument, isn't there? What, what does that do to our culture when we weaponize emotions, when we say, don't you wanna save the children? You don't wanna do this? Apparently you don't like kids. What's the problem with that culturally? Well, what you, the problem with that culturally is, is that you, you lose the idea that you have an, a, a value in your family because what happens is, is when someone comes in within the intent of evil, evil has a tendency to continue doing what they do because evil flourishes. Flur Evil's going to flourish. Evil is here. Evil's going to remain here until Jesus arrives. Okay? We, we know that. We have evil in this culture. It exists. People see it every day in their lives. One way or another, it exists. Okay, whether it's with a firearm, whether it's with a knife, whether it's with what you drive, whether it's whatever, an airplane, a jet flying into a building, yes. whatever you want to use, you know, they used gas in war, however. So, you know, evil's going to do what evil does. And, and, and so it's intellectually and just emotionally in disingenuous response when they say, if it just saves one life, why do you hate children? Or why do you wish to kill children? Don't you want to save those children's lives? And the, 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 the primary comeback to that, that I would, that I would tell most of y'all is, uh, so are, are you saying if I don't agree with your solution, I don't like children or I want to see dead, dead children's bodies, or is it possible that I have a different solution, right? Right. Uh, th there's always different solutions to things, and the thing is is that we need to discuss these solutions. We need to come to try to come to some kind of agreement but not come to an extreme one way or the another. It's not by losing rights, not by losing liberty, who was it? Um, uh, Rose, not Roosevelt, but <clears throat> who it was? One of our founding fathers that said, "If you're willing to lose, give up your liberty." As Franklin, it, in, it was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, right? That if you're willing to give up liberty and freedom, you deserve neither. Correct. If you're willing to give up freedom for security, you will get right. neither. You and get neither. And so that, that really goes over to the chair of politics really well. So if it just saves one life, is it not worth it? When we start to base laws, and we have a million and one laws, when we start to base laws not off of biblical principles, which we keep the laws relatively small, right, and relatively low amount that are broad, and they, they create a rubric that a judge can say, this is the law, this is how I interpret the law in the common context of the law and the situation. When you start to base laws based off of every single mass casualty event, what does that do to the rights of the people? Well, I mean, you just look at Australia, everything that happened over the last two years over there. I mean, you, you think, uh, I think it was back in like the late 90s that they uh, made banned a guns. complete ban, banning of guns. And now they don't have any rights. And by the way, they will point to the Aussie ban as a successful ban, as they will the 1994 ban. And we're going to look at the 1994 ban. Uh, well, if I, if, if I remember, I'll put a link in the description for the Aussie ban as well. You'll see that there's no appreciable difference in the decline in crime. 
in any of these assault weapons bans, but not, not to get ahead of ourselves. So what you end up having is a situation where the state can come in if you pray for someone, if you do not want to get the Pfizer, Moderna, uh, AstraZeneca jab, if you don't want those things, uh, for whatever reason they choose, they are now free to put you into a literal camp that you are not allowed to, at, at threat of death, gunpoint, leave. And I, and I think that's where Daniel was going. So you literally have camps that are set up. Now, the issue with economics, I'm just going to come to the chair of economics here. There is a value structure in place because Marxism requires the disarmament of the people. And that's where you see big corporations supporting gun control. Why would big corporations support gun control? Why would big politics support gun control? Because in a Marxist agenda, in a Marxist world, those people are going to be the ones in power. Make no mistake, corporatism is not capitalism. It is cronyism at best, socialism under a different guise in reality. So let's go a little bit further. I've got some data and stats here, but you, you, you have a lot of people come forward with, if it just saves one life. Well, what's, your, what's the common response they'll say? You have the police to come in. You'll have the police to come in and save you because obviously an officer is on every corner, right? Or how about in every school, like Uvalde, where they literally deployed less lethal measures on parents who were going in to save their kids when no officers were going in. Now, the issue with people going into an active shooting scene that, 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 that's a common thing where they will lock down the scene so you don't have parents running in there and you don't have friendly fire officers on parents or civilians. During active shooter, that's commonplace. But the assumption is, is that you actually have police in there doing their job and not sitting out there for minutes upon minutes upon minutes, almost an hour, right? Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly. I don't want to speak. So that in of itself is, is an immediate dispelling of that myth you know when you have shootings like that um the instant what happens is is when when seconds count like in that instant when seconds count the police are minutes away correct which in that instance seconds make a big difference versus minutes a lot of things can happen in less than a minute and a lot of things can happen in less than five minutes and because i mean it's that's a proven fact they have so many so much video on on police files where seconds counted and the cops were minutes away and in this case almost an hour so there's a really good stat for this you 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 look at how many people are, where are mass shootings generally carried out? Gun-free zones. In gun-free zones. We have that uh, stat there in the uh, map there. You see 94%, go ahead and grab that, Mrs. Producer, please. 94% of, the, this is uh, mass, mass shootings. Nope. You got to find the pie graph. Go find the pie graph. 94% of mass shootings are found, yes, are found in uh, gun-free zones. So if it just saves one life, cheer philosophy, does that still hold at this point? Not very well. If it just saves one life. So go ahead and, yeah. So if it just saves one life, just go ahead and put that on your, on your, on your thought process there. The, other, the next thing I want to look at is the NICS system. And you, if it just saves one life, here's another, here's another retort to that. Any of y'all know what the NICS system is? I know Mr. Steve probably does. The yes. Nas- yes. National yes. Instant Criminal Background, Background Check, Check System. Has anyone in this room tried to buy a firearm before? Okay. So I'm looking at two, two hands. Uh, 
How long did it take for you to get your next check, Mr. Charlie? It was a, this was done quite a while ago, and I don't think that it took that long. I think it was around the, the time that was allotted, three to four days. Three to four days. Okay. Mr. Steve, you've, you've probably purchased a few more firearms than Mr. Charlie. Yes. Uh, <laughs> have you ever had a check take longer than three days? Um, oh, it was probably around the same. I would imagine, yeah. So you guys are in the, uh, and we have a stat on this, on the Nick system. You guys are in the 80-something percentile category. Uh, go ahead and pull that up, Mr. Producer, please. The Nick's check. Uh, there are about, I think it's 15% of folks who do not necessarily get it back same day. And 0.7% every year of millions of people, go ahead and throw that stat up, 0.7% of folks who apply for a next check every year, do not get their firearm, okay? And it's an erroneous failed check. So it's an erroneous failed check. And if it just saves one life, consider this situation. Imagine you have a 21-year-old single mother. She has a bad boyfriend who, or, you know, husband, whatever, estranged. And on her 20s, Day after her 21st birthday, goes to buy a pistol. For whatever reason, she's denied that firearm. Think about that for a second. And I know people who have had denials for erroneous Nick's checks, who so needed it in the moment. Right. So if it just saves one life, that argument actually backfires on multiple levels. And, and, and I think most people in here, I'm an absolutist, but I think a lot of people in here are, you know, we have a diversity of opinion. I'm an absolutist. I think you just put someone to death. They, they rob a bank once. I'm sorry. You, you know, you're done if you have multiple witnesses. And uh, you don't take away people's inalienable rights. Uh, some people in here support background checks, and that's fine. But we're, we're, we're talking about a system that they want to make more stringent with red flag laws. And have any of y'all heard about no-fly list and red flag laws being erroneously dished out? Oh, yes. I, I'm, I'm not big on red flag law. Uh, well, what's the big issue with red flag laws? What, what happens with people who are taking depression medication? Right. Well, the, the, yeah, the problem there is is that, uh, you know, you get it regardless of how much it, it doesn't matter who decides what's going to, oh, Hey, that guy takes medication over there. Uh, you could have a Therefore, someone who's a next door neighbor could say something and call they, up the cops or the FBI. Say, "Hey, this guy takes medication. I think there might be a problem." Boom! All of a sudden, you're red flagged. They come and, in, and, and they just may the not like you because you might not cut your grass enough. Well, and, and th I think that's the. Really big issue there is that that database, if you will, or that designation sits within the hands of a person or persons that can make mistakes. And getting that mistake undone is an act of passing a law in Congress. And I think we all understand <clears throat> when that would happen. It would not. So when you give a God-given <coughs> inalienable right over to the government to reapply as they will, you will inevitably have trouble when man plays God. So the problem with if it just saves one life, uh, the CDC has determined that roughly between 500 and 500,000 and 3 million rather live or defensive uses of firearms are used <clears throat> every year. Uh, and there's a lot of different stats on this. Links in the description below. You can find 1.6 million from one uh, study that Daniel shot me. There, there's, a whole, there's a whole diversity of opinion. And there are a lot of people, and Miss Nikki sent me one from NPR. And they said, well, it's kind of hard to determine because people are likely to over-embellish. Okay, let's say 500,000. Okay, 500,000 defensive uses of firearm that would have otherwise turned into uh, a murder. How many homicides do we have when you take out gun violence uh, out of the equation for gun-related deaths in America? It's about 20,000 or less every right. year. 20,000 too many, okay? 
20,000 too many, but 500,000 lives saved versus 20,000 taken by evil people. That would be what, 520,000? So, right, think about it. Think about the amount of death, and, and, and it won't scale quite that way, but yeah, yeah, but, it's but a fun if, point. I mean, if you took it to that, to that point where, you, disarm you know, people. right, if, if you go to the disarm and you take away their means of self-protection and you're talking about saving just one life, here you've got 500,000 that have been saved Correct. And then all of a sudden, those lives are now taken. And these sh- these shootings do not make the news. The, and if they right. do, they're far and few in between. Good guy with a gun. We got a slide on that real quick. Stephen Williford in Sutherland Springs. One of the shootings you never hear about because it was a Santa Claus from the NRA. Uh, and that's a good guy with a gun. Uh, Santa Claus from the NRA came out when he heard what he thought was hammering. Then he got closer to the windows. It was shooting. Someone was shooting at his hometown church. He grabs his AR, goes out, shoots the guy, chases him down, and the car chase ends with the guy running off the road after you know he was, he was bleeding badly. Uh, a good gal with a gun. Here's a more recent one, 2022. You got a West Virginia woman uh, shoots and kills man firing at a graduation party, saves lives. Any of y'all remember that 2019 uh, uh, shooting where that one fellow is a deacon? Guy walks in with a big trench coat, shoots pastor, another deacon, I think. Uh, don't hey. quote me on, on who he shot. And then the deacon blows his head off. Right. Well, I, um, on Friday night, uh, I was at uh, the NRA convention. Um, with a friend of mine, and at the the speech that we were at, when we were listening to a bunch of speeches that were going on, they had that gentleman there give a speech. Stephen Williford? Yes. Yes. So, and he spoke that night, and we listened to him, and he talked about <laughs> that event. And it was very interesting to hear what he had to say. He only spoke for about... 15 minutes, you know, it wasn't like he spoke for 30, 40 minutes or anything. It was about a 15-minute speech, but he kind of gave a little small synopsis of it and talked about how people's gun rights are very, very important because of how bad it could have been there if it wouldn't have been for him. So it's really important to note that there is a positive impact in having a polite armed society. Here's a little stat for you. We have a stat on the abuse of parents killing children. Go ahead and throw that stat up, Mr. Producer. You've got 400 some odd maternal murders, not talking about in utero here. I'm just talking about children being killed by mom in the year 2020. Both parents being involved. Uh, it's, uh, what, 300-something. It's hard to read that stat from here. 400, I think. Uh, for moms. Right, for and moms. Then, and then it's a little bit less for both parents. And somewhere down there, there's dad. I and actually found parent. this very surprising that there were less fathers that killed their children than mothers that killed their children. Correct. You, you know, well, I, so I, here's the thing. That, that surprised me, too. I, yeah, I thought it was I, like half. Yes. I thought that was At really least. surprising to me. You know, especially when people talk about how mothers are so much more loving than fathers and emotionally attached to their children. But then again, you see that mothers have possession of their children through divorce pretty much 99% of the time. Yeah. So, And this, this you know. comports with the abuse stats. Now, I'm just bringing that up to put up another 2020 study in 2009 through 2020 there were 13,000 some odd shooting deaths and uh, 947 injuries and in 2020 specifically there were only 79 deaths with mass casualty mass shooting events and 10 wounded okay 
So does this mean that we should have a draconian measure on, on parental rights? I don't think anyone's arguing that. Why is it different with guns? It's not an uh, issue and the, the of the argument kids. will be because you can kill so many people at one time with a gun. That's going to be the argument. Um, that's what they'll come back and say. Because you can do so much damage with a semi-automatic. And, you know, it, and that's something that uh, I had a conversation with Miss Melinda over at uh, the protest. And it was an interesting conversation. I told her, hey, you, yes. you, you do understand that, you know, full disclosure, I'm, you know, conservative Christian, gun guy. I'm over at the NRA con convention. Uh, you do understand that my reload is faster than most people's. With 10-round magazines, my reload is faster than most people's 30-round shot. You know, just string of fire. Because it, 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 it's not an issue of capacity. It's a matter of training. And then I asked her, do you know about the Virginia Tech shooter? What did he use? A 9mm and a twenty-two when he was reloading. And that was 40-something students, if I remember correctly. Right. So... Yeah. Think about that for a moment. And you have the 1946, uh, uh, the, the, I think it's the Jersey Walk of Death. The, the, I, I forget what it's called, but you have, a, you have a disgruntled veteran walking through town, just shooting and reloading. He had bullets in his pocket, and he was just shooting and reloading. You've got most mass shootings are not carried out with AR-15s. They're carried out with handguns. But you typically see the capacity of being no more than 30, but really it's often 15 or 10. So that immediately becomes a, a question mark. But you're absolutely correct that that's what they'll come back with. But then you gotta you gotta know the stats. You gotta know did they did how many people actually are killed with an AR-15 every year? It's average four to five hundred. How many people are killed with pistols every year? Average 15, 20,000, somewhere in that range. So you just could almost get that in Chicago alone. Well, I'm, I'm using hyperbole there, but the, the point is this. And this is the thing that probably aggravates me the most about all the discussion about this. We are so focused as a society and as a government to do something about the gun, do something about the gun, do something about the gun. And, and this is something that I, I believe. The gun is amoral. Amen. It does not have the ability to make a decision to do right or to do evil. The gun is a tool. Um, it's no different than money. Money is amoral. It does not have a decision. It does not have the ability to choose between right and wrong. I would advocate that what we need to do is we need to start getting people back to looking at what is the issue, and that's the heart. That's the heart of people. And we have ripped out prayer out of school. We have ripped out the ability for teachers to read the Bible. And by the way, I'm not advocating that they force this. I'm not advocating that. But I am saying this. Maybe what we should be doing is putting the Ten Commandments back up on the walls of our schools. Maybe we should be putting a Bible back on the desk of our teachers. Maybe what we should be doing is allowing our teachers to teach their kids what is right and what is wrong. Maybe what we should be doing is getting our DAs to prosecute what is wrong Amen. and show that there's something that has to be paid for doing evil. We have ripped out every bit of fabric that prevents this kind of thing. Let me reword that. We have ripped out God. And from just a philosophical point, maybe what we should do is go back and look at those things to make a difference. That's what we might want to try next. Because man-made solutions don't work. And, 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 and look, it, when I was talking to, to people, most people out there did not want to talk. And the footage that we had, the audio is pretty marred. If, if, if I can clean it up enough that I feel it's presentable, we'll go ahead and bring it. But people were bullhorning right next to us. It was not, <laughs> it was not good. It but, was pretty loud. But um, people who would talk off camera, we would talk and they would say, well, you're not going to talk about getting rid of public schools or putting God back into schools. I'm like, okay, that's a different argument from AR-15s, and I'm willing to have that discussion with you, but I have a funny feeling that that's a dead end with you. 
Yes. And so l l let's talk about this. What does the AR-15 do? And they immediately would go to, well, it's just a step. Oh, you mean you want to progressively disarm everyone? Yes. Okay. That conversation we can have because it's not just an inconsistency on the AR-15. You're saying you want to strip these people, that kid in Oklahoma who fought off three people who uh, came in and he fought them off with the AR-15. You want to you want to deprive that young young kid of that. You want to deprive moms of the ability to defend themselves while or defend their children while the police have a cordoned off uh, partition and they're not letting anyone into the school. I see. That's that's a different conversation, and that that's where it always goes. It's like abortion. You show someone a fetal chart and you say, "Where is it okay to end this person's life?" Most people will say, you know, right at that four week, right at the very end, eight week category. Okay. So you can work with that person. They say nine months. Okay. We're done. I have nothing to say to you because there's nothing that you can do, but moving on to the next argument, argument number two, the majority of Americans want common sense gun legislation and assault weapon bans work. Let's go ahead and break that down. Common sense gun reform. What's, what are the first two things they always say? They say background checks and they say age limits. But guys, we, we have those. Don't we have those already? We have those. We have the next system. We have all of this in place. What you're talking about is making it more draconian. And they say, why are the Republicans against background checks? Did you look at the rest of the bill? Because it has very little to do with background checks, with the current bill that's in place. It's always about taking more of your rights. Now, did assault ban, weapons bans work? Well, no. Uh, go ahead and pull up that one slide on the assault weapons ban. Uh, what you'll see in this one article from the Department on Justice Projects, uh, effectively it's a CDC DOJ study, is that they found it was inconclusive whether or not the assault weapons ban actually reduced uh, gun uh, violence, but it increased the price and the demand for guns. By the way, just a quick note. Um, have any of y'all heard of California compliant AR-15s? Yes. All of my family out there who are gun nuts, you know, they go through that measure and grip angle. Grip angle, grip angle, not deadly. You know, not a school shooter. Grip angle, school shooter. You can't put your thumb through here. Right. Okay. Safe. No, th no, no thumb through the stock. No. You handle grip handle and all that kind of. You stuff. have to no open thirty up. round clips. Only ten round. You can have a thirty round magazine if or, you or have magazine. to. If you have to disassemble the gun. Clip. If you have to magazine. disassemble the gun to put the magazine in. Well, guess what? On an AR-15, they have a new new little uh, reset. You pull the thumb. The upper comes up like this. The magazine drops out. You close it. You put a new magazine in. And it looks something like this. Break, move, magazine drops, new magazine in, click. Didn't do anything. And to quote uh, Jeff Goldblum, nature finds a way. <laughs> People find a way around these bands. And there is no significant decrease in crime, only a more significant burden on the individual. Um, chair of politics, if laws are not doing their job, is it, if they're not accomplishing what they're setting out to do, um, is it possible that it's, say, intellectually inconsistent or an ungodly law? Well, I, I want to go to say, is it possible? It's very much the case, um, you know, just to take it a little bit step further. Uh, instead of looking at like, oh, let's say, okay, a uh, gun ban on AR-15s when in 1994, you know, we're going to go to that, but you didn't really see a change in gun violence at all. Uh, in fact, it went up a little bit. And then once the ban was over, consistently went back down. And you'll, you'll see this game they play with mass shootings is the play with the stats. They'll define a mass shooting as four or more people or... I've even heard two or more. Yes, and it changes. And so they're playing they're playing with that with those stats and those numbers. Make sure that you ask what is a mass shooting because a gang event is a mass shooting. 
once you take gang violence out of the equation, it's amazing what happens. It's amazing what happens. Should we have a law that bans gangs? Should we have a law that bans gangs? Yeah, we should no longer allow gangs. Stop gang violence. Yes. We need to outlaw our gang shootings. I think so. I think so. We need I, to outlaw gang shootings. I think that's a solid idea. They're, they're, it'd be like hate it, crimes. Uh, right. The fact that you killed someone was hateful. We have to add something else because we're already not putting that person to death. Right. By the way, just full t cards on the table. Death penalty, restitution, and uh, public whipping. Those are the things that the Bible puts out. We shouldn't have prisons. People should pay for their debt to society and then go on with their life. Or if it was bad enough, just end it. You know, because it, with, with, and, and people say, do you really want to kill many people? You won't. Once you put out the law and the bar, people will respect that bar. One or two people get hit by that bar. They don't quite cross over the threshold. Everyone else will jump a little higher. Okay. Now, argument number three. You don't need weapons of war for hunting or self-defense. Any of y'all heard of that? Oh, man, I've heard that. Mr. Former Vice President Joe Biden. Got to respect the office. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Former Vice who, President Joe who Biden. Wears, who wears a body armor to run around in the woods to hunt whitetail? You heard that on yeah, his latest yeah. speech, huh? No, right? Mr. Former Vice President, it, that, that, that's not for the whitetail. That's for people like you when they come for us and they come for our children. That's for people like you. Right. And, and, that, and this leads to the constitutional argument. It's not a threat. I'm just saying this is literally what the Founding Fathers put into place. What did it say in the Declaration? When it, it is your right, it is your duty to overthrow tyranny. You know, I don't see anything in the Second Amendment that says anything about hunting in regards to our gun rights. What I do read is it says, shall not be infringed. So let's go to that. Argument number four. Let's go to that. Yeah. Argument number four. Right. Do your Second Amendment rights have limitations? They say, well, you can't shout fire in an open theater, in, in a theater, uh, you know, that, that, that'd be your Second Amendment. Uh, uh, yes, you can, when there's a fire. When there's a fire. Or, or if you shout fire in a theater that has no fire in it, guess what that is? That's a call to action. That's not just words, that's an action. Right. Libel is not protected under the Second Amendment or the First Amendment, rather. Libel is not protected. You look at the, the Founding Fathers' uh, actual standard for this, they would say, does it promote the public good on libel, whether or not it exists? Did it need to be said? Was there a good reason for it? And were you misinformed? Those were the bars you had to climb or, or to, to cross before a civil suit could be brought against someone. Okay? So, and, and I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too far, but there are no... First Amendment restrictions. Why would there be a Second Amendment restriction? And on that note, what what did our founding fathers think about warships? What did they think about weapons of mass destruction? What did they think about armies, about private armies? Well, I think we actually have a really interesting peer into that in the War of 1812. Most people don't realize, you know, kids aren't taught this in school. We had two revolutionary wars. We had the wars, you know, 1776, Eight, all the way up to uh, 1789 where we fought, we fought, we fought. And then the British came back and the Canadians came and they burned down the White House. All right. <laughs> During this war, James Madison and Thomas Jefferson have many letters on this. In fact, James Madison specifically wrote in one letter that we have in the, in the, the slide for uh, about privateers and about the instrumental role that they would play in our defense. He said that this was, they, they were very much going to be a part of our defense. Mm -hmm. So, and you look at Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson also noted this in a letter to uh, William Duane in 1812. And he, you have specific mention of privateers. You actually had in the Articles of the Constitution the right to put in those uh, uh, letters of, go ahead, take, take it from here. No? Okay, I'm sorry. I sent uh, I sent Daniel on a fishing expedition to look up the uh, the letters that allowed privateers to exist and go and actually fight wars 
on behalf of the government. What would you say? uh, Letters of Mark? I've I've only read it. I've never heard. Letters of Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So a letter of Mark was a license to go out and on behalf of the government, not a license to own cannons, but a license on behalf of the government to go and use your warship, to use your merchant ship, turn into a warship using cannons. What would a cannon be uh, equivalent to in, in modern modern day terms? Rocket launcher. Rocket launcher, heavy artillery, etc. Man, this must have caused chaos in the Founding Fathers' Day. Man, there must have been uh, people blowing up cities and looting and, and pirating homes. Oh, wait. No. No. It, no. That didn't happen? That didn't happen. It, what? Huh? What? So, 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 so you mean like with the Texas uh, permitless carry, things didn't turn into the OK Corral? Well, John what? Arthur, this is this is the issue: is people want to. This day and age, we want a quick solution. Correct. This is not living in the same neighborhood as the Cleavers any longer. They don't want to address what we've come to. Yes. And I have said over and over again, a society with, that is embracing these things that are sinful against the Lord are not. It, it brings down a society. So the days of the cleavers are over with. And we need to go to the root problem. We're embracing things that are really immoral. We have taken what's right and called it wrong. We have taken what's wrong and, and called, called it, it right. right. And this is what happens in society. So take your guns or ban your guns all you want. It doesn't change what his society has become and when inside society embraces these immoral things that we've embraced it's the downfall of every society we think we've come someplace we say you know we're embracing the uh, homosexual movement and the transgender movement and the broken family movement and the dysfunctional family movement social media these uh games that they send out for these kids that are very violent. We embrace all of it as natural, and we have we have come to a, a higher level. But there's no society in the world that has ever succeeded that embraces these things. They fall. They fall. And so we, we have to come to the realization that the taking more gun laws will not change what society has become. So... What you're watching is the suicide of the West, as one author so eloquently put it. Yes. And that's something that we really, really need to be aware that it is a cultural issue. We got to fight it. We got to have our our responses to the issue. And we've got a few more to get to today. But after you bring up these responses, you do need to go to the root of the matter, which is the heart. Mr. Steve. Yeah, here's an interesting Second Amendment um, issue. In 1791, okay, um, we had ratified our Constitution. During that time in 1791, over in France, there was a lot of violence going on happening at that time, okay? Now, we had just ratified our Constitution. We were given our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Now, in France, like I'd mentioned, lots of violence going on. Um, And during that time, which allowed, because of the government, with them not being able to own privately own firearms and the people not being able to have these firearms allowed, this is what allowed Napoleon at the time to rise up, to take power and to be the despot that he was and was able to become at that time because France, now if you don't believe me, read the history. Yep. Okay. It's a true fact, and this it, is something that that I've not I've, that I've been told. I found this out 
Friday night listening to the speech at the NRA con- uh, convention, and this was from the South Dakota governor when she was speaking at the NRA convention. Yep. She was talking about this at the time. It's something that plays out every time. It doesn't matter which theater, which uh, stage it's playing out on. It always plays out the same. You give man the power to control something that God has given you. Man will always abuse the power of God. Correct. And, and that it is something- allowed the government tyranny over the people and allowed Napoleon to do what he was able to do invade all these other countries and of course these countries didn't have the means to protect themselves their governments didn't allow it so all they had were their armies and you know that's just like the, you know why we didn't get invaded in world war ii because there'd be gun hiding behind every, every blade of grass admiral yamamoto I mean, if i remember look correctly. at it we've never been invaded ever no. absolutely and that's the, the, the biggest issue is disarming the populace, and that's where they want to start because you look at Mao, you look at Stalin, you look at Hitler, they had to disarm the populace. You look at Australia, we're watching it unfold before us. Give it 10 years. It's going to get worse in Australia if it doesn't get turned around. We're watching Australia fall right now into tyranny. And the next argument, before we get into some of the more church-bound arguments, because this comes from the church as much from anywhere else. Uh, Before we get there, last argument, argument number five. The Founding Fathers did not consider semi-automatic weapons. They did not, they were not aware of weapons that could cause so much damage. But may I humbly suggest to you, one shot from a cannon can do a lot more than a semi-automatic rifle. One shot from an eight-pound cannon with a, with a, uh, time fuse in it could kill everyone in a church in one fell swoop. And I humbly suggest that. Like but a, number like two, huge grenade, the thing goes off. In 1777, the Belton uh, flintlock was actually considered by Congress where you could rapidly fire off within, uh, what was it, eight seconds, I believe. The Belton flintlock within eight seconds. Links in the, in the description below, many, many rounds with only one reload. So uh, don't quote me on the seconds, but it's fast. It's a fast rate of fire, semi-auto, or potentially full-auto chain fire. There's some question on the history because it never got adopted because Belton wanted way too much money to deliver the first 100 semi-automatic or the repeating muskets. This is in 1777. This is before the Bill of Rights. So that argument right out the window. Founding fathers didn't consider it's a different world. The more things change, the more they actually stay the same. Now, argument number six. This is going to go right at the chair of theology first. Are you not pro-life? How is killing someone the right answer? I want to I want to start with the chair of theology, and then we're going to hop over to philosophy here. But I don't think that it's the act of I want a gun so I can kill myself uh, or kill somebody. I want a gun because um, people who want to commit crime are looking for vulnerable people, and an armed person is not vulnerable. It's not an easy target. Um, I think that you can research what criminals uh, point at when they go to rob. Have you ever heard of anybody walking into a police department and shooting the place up? I mean, if there's going to be a presence of somebody there with a gun, there's going to be a hesitation. That's what the whole thing about owning a gun is about. It's not that you want to take a gun and you want to kill somebody. Or it's about, if I need to, I can. But a lot of times, if you have a gun, it's going to deter deter somebody from uh, committing a crime against you. That's where the self-defense a lot comes into. Correct. And it's about saving lives. It's yes. always about saving or protecting life. And preventing, preventing things, preventing, preventing crime. Correct. And then the, the chair of philosophy, I want to get your take on this. You're not, how are you pro-life, but you're in favor of taking a criminal's life? Does that make you pro-death? Chair of philosophy, what would be your response to this? 
Well, no. The answer is no. When boy, there's so much that we could get into. And I know. Just this I know. Little we're, this we're, little topic, we could go hours. We're at the end of our time, but yeah. But <laughs> no, it, it it does not. Um, and and when you look at the right to defend, um, and I'm I'm gonna approach this a little more from a theological perspective of the Luke. 1121 verse I think is is really good there when a strong man armed keepeth his palace his goods are in peace um, we've talked about the tyranny issue and one of the things that was going through my mind is water likes to flow to the path of least, least resistance well quite frankly that's what evil does Evil goes to the path of least resistance. If you think about what happened in Uvalde this last week, you're talking about somebody that wasn't confronted at all. And not just from a physical standpoint, I'm talking from a human standpoint. He literally Uh, said, I'm going to go to a school to shoot it up. Think about that. And there was no Colorado shooter went past multiple theaters. He went to one that did not, that had a no gun sign. Least resistance. Absolutely. That's, I mean, for this particular question that you're asking, that's about all the time I've really got to, to get out. But Correct. This, this could go so deep. So, and again, my, my, my question is always, how does me allowing them to take my life a thing? So that, that, that leads us to turn the other cheek. That leads us to turn the other cheek. Let's go ahead and, and look at that. Because people say... Didn't Jesus say to turn the other cheek? Doesn't that make you a pacifist? Shouldn't you be a pacifist if if Jesus said to turn the other cheek? Well, Christ also talked about a strong man keeping his place and his goods are in peace. That's Luke eleven twenty one. But let's look at the turning of the other cheek. You know that that verse. It was in a chapter. You know that chapter was in a was in a book and that book is in a compendium we call the bible the plenary interpretation of the scripture is really important here which if the plain holistic reading you read the whole bible as it is written in the context of all the other passages but daniel can you go ahead and get for me matthew 5 38 through 41 that is the context this is on the sermon on the mount go ahead and get that for me sir Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye uh, resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy coat, let him have thy coat also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him one. So, let's think about that for just a moment. That sounds like, you know, if it, from a 21st century perspective, you could kind of bend that a little bit. It is a bend to say that you don't have the right to defend yourself. But Jesus also said in Luke 22, 35 through 37, uh, Miss Nikki, can you get that for me? Yes, I can if I can find it in my... I, I can get it. Luke 25, what again? Uh, 25, no. or sorry, 22, 35 through 37. Okay. Let me get that for you right here. Oh, I'm right there. Okay, go ahead. And he said unto them, When I sent you without purse and script and shoes, lack ye anything? And they said nothing. Then said he unto them, But now he, hath, he that have a purse, let him take it, and likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say unto you that this that, this, that is written must ye be accomplished in me. And he was reckoned among the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. Christ knew that he wasn't always going to be around. He said, I was going to be reckoned with the transgressors put up on the cross. So he knew that this was coming. He said, go defend yourself. So how do we juxtapose these two? From a 21st century perspective, it's not possible. We have to go back and look at the culture. What did Christ mean? When he said, "Turn the other cheek," Mr. Pomeroy, in the uh, uh, in the show map here, I got Sanhedrin fifty-eight B. There's a script from here. I think it's very telling. If you could go ahead and get that for us, yeah, Rabbi, um, I'm 
I'm hoping I'm not pronouncing this name wrong, Hanina, says, a Gentile who struck a Jew is liable to receive the death penalty. As it is stated, when Moses saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, and he turned this way and that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he struck the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. That comes from Exodus 2.12. And Rabbi Hanina says, one who slaps the cheek of a Jew is considered as though he slapped the cheek of the divine presence. And I want to go back to one incident here where George H.W. Bush was speaking somewhere, and a reporter threw his shoe at Bush. People in America didn't understand that. That guy that threw it did. There was a true meaning behind that. People go, why a shoe? You don't understand the culture. Correct. Let me keep reading. It is a snare, Mokesh, for a man to rashly say, holy. The verse is interpreted homiletically to mean one who strikes, Nokesh, a Jew, is considered as though he hurt the cheek of the Holy One. That's pretty telling. So when Christ was speaking about this, again, going to culture, he's saying, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm God. I'm God, not you. If someone offends you, understand that it offends me. Leave it to me. Offer well, it, the other cheek also. If someone takes your cloak, say, look, I'm going to give you, if, and this is a common thing, the Romans would say, I'm taking your cloak. Give him your tunic as well. Say, look, I am going to give you of my own volition this. I am going to allow you to do this of my own volition. It was an issue of pride and nothing to do with allowing someone to kill or murder your family. So when you get that question from folks who are in within the church, hopefully now you have an understanding. By the way, links in the description below for all of this. Um, going around the room, just to wrap up for the day, Chair of Theology, what is your best takeaway for an argument for someone who's, who's dealing with, say, friend, family member, fellow churchgoer, who says that, you know, we need to go ahead and take away some people's rights. We need to take away some people's rights, and so, some rights here or there are not a bad thing. Uh, we'll, we'll stop the evil in this way. What's a good response for that person? Well, you know, it's interesting because we had this uh, conversation at work, and my coworker said, very simply, evil people do evil things. I mean, you, you're always going to have evil. So uh, we need... The only thing that takes away evil is the word of God. And so you need to continue to stand for the things of the Lord and say there's a better way. The people that are doing these things, there's there's roots of problems in their lives, and they're angry, and they're uh, taking out these things on innocent, vulnerable people. Very good. Very good. Moving over to the chair of philosophy. What would be your takeaway? People say, look, we need to go ahead and reevaluate the inalienable rights that God has given us because people are getting hurt. What would be the philosophically sound apologetic response to AR-15s have to go? I think we need to reevaluate what we're doing within our society about prosecuting right or wrong people and teaching what is right and wrong. I That we... We have books on the uh, laws on the books to take care of a lot of these issues. I don't, this is me, I don't think we need more laws. We need more prosecuting of what's wrong. And we're not doing that. And we're not, what's interesting is we're not doing that from the very highest level of government down to local governments. If you look at what's going on, especially since the defund the police movement, we've, We've run into a lot of issues. Very good. Moving over to the chair of culture. What would you say is the real issue? Is it AR-15s or is it an issue of a sick culture? And what is a step moving forward that we can give someone? Because that is the question people were asking out there, you know, oh, the protesters. Yeah. What do we do? And I told them, it's not a light switch. You can't just turn it, turn off the violence. We, we've gotten here. We're here. So culturally, 
what is a positive step in the correct direction that we can give someone, something that's actionable? Well, first off, you know, when, when you and I were out there talking to those people, they weren't concerned about the culture. They were concerned about the tool because they felt like the tool could be controlled. So therefore evil can be controlled one period. Then that was their, that was their thinking. Now we know that is not the fact as people who support the second amendment tools, controlling a tool does not control an incident. We know that it is the culture that is the problem because of our sin nature. This started back with Adam and Eve, and it has continued on down all the way up till today, and it will continue until Jesus comes. And our culture continually gets, all you got to do is go online, read, see what's going on with kids, look at the stuff uh, on social media, Look at all of these video games that are coming out for these young adults. Man, the violence that goes on. I've seen some of this stuff. I've talked to my my children about uh, some of the stuff these grandkids are doing. I say, man, you need to get rid of this stuff and get this out of your house because of the violence that that's transpiring on some of these games, man. I don't think it's, it's the just violence as much as the nihilism. It's that's just really the ridiculous. issue. Ridiculous. And I try to point it out. They don't notice it because they're doing their stuff, you know, because of the nature of young parents. You know, I have a tendency to notice it because I'm a grandparent now and I'm, you know, pay more attention to it. And, you know, two parents, you're working and you're doing your thing and your kids are, you know, come home and they're doing their thing. So, but. You know, it's it's getting rid of those kinds of things out of your house to mute that and try to cut down on it. And it's the culture that causes the problem. It's absolutely an issue of culture. And again, I don't think it's so much the violence as the nihilism. I mean, that's really the issue, the pure, utter disregard for human nihilism, life being inculcated. Which, which flourishes in our culture. So the chair of politics, we have tried to fix this with politics. When someone comes and they say, we need to get rid of AR-15s in a policy level, what's a good response to them? Well, I would say, first off, no. Again, like you look at the statistics, not, I, we've already pointed this out, 94% of mass shootings happen in gun-free zones. Um, I, I don't know the exact percentage of that that are committed with specifically AR-15s or uh, uh, semi-automatic rifles, anything like that. I don't know. But I, I, I would imagine it's a... It's less than half of, of mass shootings are committed by semi-auto or with semi-auto rifles. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that makes sense. But, um, I mean, honestly, what I would say is uh, just our policies aren't working. Because they're not? It never, because it is not God-ordained, it will never work, banning guns. It will never work. Um, what could possibly work is spending, oh, I don't know, maybe $40 billion on 100,000-something schools we have in the U.S., you know, uh, making a security there or at least allowing the teachers and faculty of the schools to have uh, guns. A little bit of culture war there with the Ukraine bill, but uh, I'll let it slide. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let it slide. Okay. You see, I was trying to go unnoticed there. I saw, but, you know. I saw what you did there. So from, from the economic perspective, remember – what they're trying to do. They want to disarm you. And that's where it comes down to. It's a matter of good versus evil. And they want to take away your, and again, let me be really clear. When I say they, I'm not talking about folks who hold gun control as a view. I'm talking about the politicians who know better, the leaders who know better. They know better. They're in this. They've seen it. They know it doesn't work. They're trying to bring about a new Marxist regime. They can only do that if they disarm you. They can only do that to disarm you. Next week, we're going to be talking about um, how gun control was originally concocted uh, 
to discern a specific group of people. But enough on that. Thank you so much for listening today. If you like this, like, comment, share, subscribe, all those good things. The sharing is the new YouTube like, okay? Go ahead and share this. Just the clicking on the share is a good boost for the channel. Make sure you get uh, Further Everyday shirt. If uh, if you are so inclined on Amazon.com slash merch, look it up and you'll find Further Everyday. We've got baseball tees. Mrs. Producer has a nice uh, uh, t-shirt. There's premium tees, you know, the the nice poly blends and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Helps us out. Doesn't give us much money, but at least lets people know what you're listening to. Now, if you didn't like this, smash that dislike button twice. Love you all so much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 All right. Final thing for you. Final thing for you. Uh, favorite gun control argument for how poorly concocted it is. What is your favorite or least favorite gun control argument? So bad arguments. What's the one that sticks out the most to you? Well, the Nikki? worst argument is that if we ban this, we'll, we'll save on um, the crime. If we ban assault weapons, we'll save on crime. That's a, that's a terrible. We've weapon? already proven that. Going over to the chair of philosophy. Yeah. The banning guns will save lives. Absolutely asinine. Chair of culture. People don't need weapons of war. People don't need. What is a weapon that's not of war? I mean, I'm, I'm just asking. What is a weapon that's not of war? It's some, yeah, it's some neutered yeah, exactly. thing. It's, it, it's like a wet noodle. Like a wet, a wet noodle? Do you want me to have a wet uh, noodle? No, no, I mean, no. You can do some serious damage with wet noodles. Chair of politics. Favorite <laughs> gun control argument, or least favorite, rather. Oh, my gosh. I don't, I don't even know. There, there, there are too many bad ones out Pop there. Pop one out there. Man. Well, what was the first murder, John Arthur? Oh, that was the first thing that I... that. So I asked this lady at... Uh, at the NRA, Miss Melinda, really good conversation. She thanked me afterward for having a rational conversation. We had a really good combo. But I was telling Daniel before the show, again, the audio from that was so bad because people were bullhorning next to us. I'll see if I can save it. But we were going back and forth and uh, said, so are you, are, are you saying, you said ban guns, not books, was her sign. What do you mean by that? Well, mm -hmm. guns make us kill people. And I said, uh, books make us better. And I said, okay. Uh, Got intuition. I said, have you read the Bible, ma'am? And she says, yes, of course. I said, what was the first murder? Cain and Abel. Okay. Uh, so is this an issue of human evil or inanimate objects? Inanimate objects. It was still a good conversation. She was really sweet. <laughs> but, but there is a problem with that. Cain hmm. and Abel didn't We're have guns. So, spoilers of rock. <laughs> a weapons of rock ban weapons of rock that's my favorite argument ban weapons of rock and you will be safe thank you so much for listening that's all we have for you bye bye, bye. bye.